we should. The theme of Scripture, back at 2.4, is the righteous shall live by faith. Declared righteous in Christ, born again, children of God, Christians, those of us who are believers, Christ. So what we, be, we have been looking at, if you'll take your hand out, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this unique, looked at that miracle last week, and we focused on, as we were wrapping up, Jesus saying to the eleven, understand who I am, my person, I am the Son of Man, that Daniel talked about, I am the coming Messiah, I am the great, I am, I am here. It is now, it is this moment I have come to redeem mankind. That's who I am, and here's my plan. I must be the suffering Messiah. And they really don't understand that. They struggle with that. Because remember, they're Jews. And their whole mindset of the Messiah was a conquering hero who would come and set up the kingdom on earth of peace, prosperity, and give the Jews their rightful place and heritage. And Jesus said, no, I must go, I must suffer, I must die, and I must rise again. That's the good news that you're going to carry forward. So what we're going to look at today is one of the few last public moments where Jesus is saying, okay, here's what it's all about. So if you'll look at number three on your handout, we're going to look now at Jesus' unique challenge. It says, here's the way it is. Here's what I want you to do. Here's what I want you to share with other people. Here's what I want you to understand. This is Jesus. Look at verse 34 of Mark chapter 8. Jesus had called the people to himself. Notice. He's been dealing with the 11, and now he says, I want to bring everybody together. The committee meetings are over. Let's go out and meet with everybody. Bring the crowd in. He brings the people to himself. Verse 34. With his disciples also, and he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what you're going to see here is this is Jesus' great call to the people, not just to the 11, but to the people, and this is what they will carry forward, the 11, to all people, is that you say you want to follow me, you want to be a Christ follower. They weren't called Christians yet. You want to be a follower of the way, which is what others, Romans and others called them initially, because Jesus said, I am the way. They were called followers of the way. If you want to follow me, if you believe I am who I say I am, and you say you want to follow me, here is what you got to do. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his incredible classic book, The Cost of Discipleship, and if you've never read it, you ought to read it, but you will be really challenged in your faith. How serious are you about your walk with Jesus Christ and being a disciple of the Lord, a Christ follower, a learner, a disciple of Jesus Christ, a learner follower. Bonhoeffer said this, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. What Jesus is saying to them is, I don't want part of you I don't want this to be a religious option for you. I don't want you to say, yes, I believe intellectually. I want you to say, if you're going to follow me, it is not about you. It's about me. You have to die to self to follow me. It begins with desire. Whoever desires to come after me, 
want to, intentional. Do you want to follow Christ or are you just giving it lip service? James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not what? Hearers only. Don't just hear it, do it, live it, be it. So Jesus says there in verse 34, if you want to come after me, if you say you want to be a Christ follower, and the literal, the original language means this, get in line. Like with school starting back. Little kid, all little kids that are across the hall, and some of you older, more intelligent and intellectual kids, what will teachers be saying to you every day? Line up. Line up. Get in line. Mary does that with me all the time. You want to eat? Get in line. Line line up. Here's the Great Commission. You want to follow me? Here's what I need you to do. So let's quickly, it's a very famous verse, but I want us to walk through it. Look at the steps of discipleship in verse 34. Number one, verse 34. He called the people to himself with his disciples. He said, all right, whoever desires to come after me, get in line. Here's what you got to do. Deny yourself. Take up your cross, follow me. First step, you got to deny yourself. You got to deny yourself. And this, we love to talk about this. The evangelical circles and churches in general love to talk about this. Different ways, different focus. I want you to see exactly what's being said here. The literal, again, the original language is you've got to disown yourself. Refuse what you want and you disown. It does not mean, hang with me for just a moment, it does not mean self-denial. It doesn't mean, for example, I'm going to get off Facebook for a week. Or I'm going to give up Instagram. Or I'm going to stop smoking. Now, are those good things? Probably. Instagram and Facebook, put them aside for a moment. If I'm a smoker, would it be good for me to stop smoking? Of course. Would it be good for Randy to lose 20 pounds? Absolutely. That's not what this is being talked about. This is much more serious than that. This is not giving up something for Lent. This is saying, okay, I won't eat pork for the next six weeks. Or I won't drink alcohol this year. Or I will abstain. I will, I, I'm not going to do this. Or I'm not going to eat meat. Or, or I, I, okay, I'm going to start running. It's not denying yourself in that sense. It's disowning yourself. Here's what it literally means. To total surrender of all I am to the mastership or lordship of someone else. My agenda, my desires, my ambitions. Now, who's talking here? Who's saying, if you desire to come after me, the first step is you deny yourself. Who said those words? Jesus the Christ, our Savior, our Lord and Master. So here's what he's saying. Randy, you say you want to follow me. The first step, Randy, is you have to deny yourself. You have to say, from this moment forward and in every day of my life, I don't own me anymore. Jesus does. My agendas are his. My, my ambitions are his for me. I, I want to be a Christian, a Christ. The word literally means little Christ. I want people, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. That's what, like with your children, what you want them to see in you. It's not just a father or a mother, but a father or a mother who is serious about their Christ life. That it's not just something we say we are, it's who we are in every situation. Also, it goes as far as your thought life. 
When you're the only one around in your room, in your office, in your car, cutting your grass, whatever you are doing, and it's just you and God, what do you think about? What are your focus? Where are you? What's important to you? Who do you pray for? Who are you praying for? Those who, who need you the most. Are you sacrificing for them? Are you interested in them and not you? This whole idea of agenda is so important that it's not Randy's agenda, it's God's. When Jesus taught us how to pray, what were the, I told you before, what were the two overarching principles of what's come to become to be known as the Lord's Prayer? To hallow the name of whom? The Father. Our Father, which art in heaven, be hallowed, hallowed be your name. Not mine, not anybody else's, yours. And whose will are you seeking in prayer always? Your will be done, Father, who's being hallowed. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Not my will. So that's what denying self is about. It's viewing who I am as a disciple. My rights, my decisions, my ambitions, everything. This guy named Howard Butt wrote a book called The Art of Being a Big Shot. It's the name of his book, The Art of Being a Big Shot, incredibly successful man. I'm going to read you a short paragraph from his book. It is my pride that makes me independent of God. It's appealing to me to feel that I am the master of my fate. I run my own life. I call my own shots. I go it alone. But that feeling is my basic, is, is my basic dishonesty. I can't go it alone. I have to get help from other people, and I can't ultimately rely on myself. I'm dependent on God for my very next breath. Peter was alluding to that earlier day as we were going through worship. The very breath that I have, just the capacity to speak, to think, to emote, are all gifts from God. Back to the paragraph. It's dishonest of me to pretend that I'm anything but a man, small, weak, and limited. So living independent of God is self-delusion. It is not just a matter of pride being an unfortunate little trait and humility being an attractive little virtue. It's my inner psychological integrity that's at stake. When I am conceited, I am lying to myself about what I am. I am pretending to be God and not man. My pride is the, is the idolatrous worship of myself. and That is the national religion of hell. End quote. It's not about me. And if I think that I don't need God, I'm lying to myself. I'm deluding myself. I have to have it. Even non-believers. The Bible talks about God sustains the, the universe. It's the presence of God that, that keeps evil restrained in general in our world. We need God. Erwin Lutzer, famous from Moody Bible Institute, tremendous author, was talking about New Year's resolutions in his life. And he said this, I will not, my New Year's resolution is the following. I will not begin a single day in the new year without giving thanks, quote, Father, glorify yourself in my life today at my expense. If, if you don't pray anything else for you, and I pray this for myself all the time because I find Randy slipping in a lot. Randy's a bad guy when it's all about Randy. Randy slips in, Randy wants it. God, let me see what you want. I want to do that. Not what I want. I want what you want. 
I want to do that. I want to be where you want me to be. I want to do what you want me to do, not myself. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Corinth, said these words, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore, because you were bought at a price, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The first step is to deny yourself, is to understand it is not about me. I do not own me. Jesus does. Paul's favorite description of himself is in Christ. And as you read through his epistles, you'll see this word come up over and over. I'm a bond slave, bond slave, bond servant, bond slave, bond servant. And the the word literally means I am a servant of Jesus by choice. I want to follow him. And therefore, I commit myself to him. First step, deny yourself. Second step, back to verse 34 of Mark. You desire to come after me, number one, deny yourself. Number two, take up your cross. So we've gone from a desire, I want to, to denial of self. And now Jesus says, take up your cross. In the culture of that day, when you saw somebody carrying a cross in the Roman, under the Roman Empire, what did you know? That person was going to, to be tortured to death. Take up your cross. Deny yourself first, then pick up your cross. If you don't deny yourself first, what are you not going to do? You're not going to pick up that cross. Because when you pick up that cross, what you're saying is, I'm going to die. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Here's where I'm going. Are you serious about it? Come on, get on board, line up. Because, he tells them later on, the world's going to hate you. In the upper room discourse, he's preparing them this last night with them. He said, by the way, the world's going to hate you. Are you ready? Let's line up. But he had big crowds wanting to go to church, right? Line up. The world's going to hate you. You know why? Because it hates me. Jesus said, the world will hate you because it hates me. You follow me and you'll get out of this world benefits. Peace, hope. Man, if you ever want to be encouraged, and I do this all the time, when I'm down, when I'm hurting, I just go read the upper room discourse, John 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. Don't try to analyze it. Just read it. It won't take you that long to read it. John 13 through 17, what you'll constantly see is Jesus saying to them, I got to go. I got to go. Don't be troubled. I got to go. Don't be troubled. I got to go. Don't be troubled. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. Relax, boys. I'm I'm paraphrasing now. Relax, boys. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you just like me, but he's also going to be in you. And you're going to do greater things than I've done. Whoa. I mean, he dumped some heavy stuff on them at that last supper. And he kept saying, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. I love you. Let me show you how I love you. I'll wash your feet. Now, you wash each other's feet. You love each other. Because the world will know you're mine when you love one another. On and on and on. Just read it. Read it, read it, and it will constantly remind you what Jesus went to the cross to do and what he says to us. You want to follow me? It won't be easy, no. I want to, I want to make it clear. It will be hard, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Take up your cross. It was a common Roman execution. During the time of Jesus Christ, it's estimated in that point in history for that three-year period of time that the Romans probably crucified 30,000 people. 
They did it on a public thoroughfare like Golgotha. Calvary was a hill, public thoroughfare. They would crucify criminals and enemies of the state. They would put them up there. Normally, it lasts about three days. They put them up there. Why? So when you pass down Poplar Avenue or Germantown Parkway and you saw them up there on those crosses, what did you know? I don't want to mess with the Roman Empire. Those guys are serious about killing somebody. I don't want to mess with them. Jesus said, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. It was a shame, shameful way to die. It was a suffering way to die. Read about it. Horrible way to die. It's probably the worst way man has ever devised to kill another man. A slow, torturous, humiliating death. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. Let's get on the death march. You carry it. By the way, another thing is, and you know the story, but when you went to be crucified, who carried your cross? You did. You did. Take up your cross. Jesus was so weak, he couldn't even carry his. Simon of Cyrene had to carry it part of the way. Take up your cross. So here's Jesus' challenge. Are you willing to identify with me in suffering and death? Later on, Peter is obviously here as Jesus says these words. Peter writes these words in 1 Peter chapter 4. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice, rejoice, to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, rejoice that you can carry that cross. That when he is, his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. He's coming back. If you are reproached or mocked for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Please see these principles. When you're mocked for being a Christian, that's a blessing. You're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. It's a badge of honor. On their part, he is blasphemed. But on your part, he is glorified. This was written by Peter, who struggled in his faith. Even after this moment. But God used him. Jesus restored him and he used him. Just like he will use us. You're not perfect. You're not always going to be there. But Jesus is perfect, and he is always going to be there to restore you, just like he did Peter. Third step, verse 34. You want to follow me? You want to come after me? You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and then you follow me. That simply means go with me. And the idea here is, okay, if you're willing to deny yourself, and you're willing to pick up your cross, come on. But here's what I got to have for you. Unquestioned obedience. You got to trust me. You got to trust me. Because it won't, it won't always be the way you want it to be. Did they want Jesus to die on the cross? Absolutely not. Did they want him to leave? Absolutely not. But Jesus said, I, you got to trust me. You got to trust me. I'm God. Now, come on. If you're going to follow me, trust me. In the Upper Room Discourse, I'm just going to read you some quotes from that John 13 through 17 I mentioned a moment ago. I'm just going to read you some things Jesus said. If you love me, keep my commandments. All of these he said at the Last Supper. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Jesus said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him. We will come to him, make our home with him. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Trust me, love me, love others, and obey me. Early in his ministry, Jesus said these words, not in the upper room discourse early on, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, gave himself for me. That's a summary of what it means to follow Christ. I've been crucified with him. I died to self to live as a servant. Jesus said, I came to serve. The whole theme of Mark that we've been talking about, I came to serve and give my life a ransom for many. You reverse that, and that's what it means to be a disciple. I died to self so that I serve others. Christ in me is my hope of glory. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh I live by faith in whom? The Son of God. He loved me, gave himself for me. Those are the steps. Now, let's look at the motives of discipleship. Verse 35. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the Gospels will save it. Your first motive, very simply, for being a follower of Jesus Christ is that you want to be saved. You want to have a saved life. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Here's Jesus' point. Your entire focus is not, I want to die and go to heaven. It's that right now on earth, I want my life to mean something. I want it to count. I want it to count for Jesus Christ. In John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he did not mean heaven. He was talking about right now. Because when you're sharing the gospel with someone and they're not born again, the one thing that you have, that doesn't matter how much money they have, how successful they've been, who they are, power, authority, if you are a believer and you are a Christ follower, you possess the one thing every person you talk to desperately needs, and it's peace. Peace with God and the peace of God. And you can only get that through Jesus Christ. See, it doesn't matter. Anything else, when you face death, nothing else matters but what's beyond the grave. And if you've got the peace of God because you're at peace with God, the Bible makes it very clear to you, death doesn't bother you at all. As a matter of fact, Ecclesiastes says it's the best day of your life because you go home. Jesus said, you want to be saved? You come to me. I'll give you eternal life and I'll give you abundant life right now. The Apostle Paul also said this, this about his life. Talking to the Ephesian elders, 
He was at Ephesus. He was getting ready to leave. He was heading to Jerusalem, and he expected to be executed and never see them again. So this is his last time with them, and he loved these people, these men. And here's what he said to them. None of these things, talking about going to Jerusalem and what he would face there. None of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If I'm going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill me, great. I want to finish my race with joy. The entire book of Philippians, was that's the theme of it. I'm going to die, but rejoice in your circumstances. Because I'm running the race. Later on, he writes, I've run the race, I've finished the race. And he passes that baton to Timothy, we're getting ready to. And he says, you commit this to faithful men who will teach it to others. That's what we're doing 2,000 plus years later. That's what it is. I want to be a Christ follower so that when I die, I can look back like Paul did and say my life's being poured out as a sacrifice on your life to enhance your faith. To enhance your faith. Second is a satisfied life. Look at verse 36. What will a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? The peace, the purpose in life that you have right now. You only have that as a believer. Yes, other people have goals and they, and they work. Man should work. He should take care of his family. Those things are just givens. But what we have as believers is a purpose in life that goes far beyond that. Of eternal significance and consequences because we understand what life is really all about. Life is Christ. He is my life. Jesus said, which is more valuable, which means more profit, more gain, Charlemagne was about to die. He had it planned out his funeral. And he was going to have himself entombed, sitting on his throne with his cake and crown, scepter. Had all that done, and he had a book in his hand. So they followed his instructions, and they buried him. 200 years later, they opened his tomb to see. And he was sitting there. The crown was tilted, and the robe was all moth-eaten. Everything had fallen and the book was open, and it was open to these words. What would the profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his soul? Charlemagne, Charlemagne was the most powerful man in the world at that moment in time, but he died, didn't he? The Roman Empire is gone. Alexander the Great ain't around anymore, but Jesus is. Pilate had him crucified. Jesus came back from the dead. Who won? You see, the Bible makes it clear to us, and someone said so poignantly years ago, we don't fight to victory, we fight from victory. It was won at Calvary and Easter. That's why this is so significant. You want Jesus, you want to follow me? Come on. Yeah, you're going to die. We're all going to die. If you follow me, it's worth it. And death's not a problem for you. 
ushered into me in this life and not be ashamed and be ashamed of me in this life. Every knee will bow, tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue. I am not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who
forever. You're born again. You're a saint most high God. And you will possess the kingdom with the Son of Man. That's what awaits you. That's what you share. And then in Revelation 19, here's the final fulfillment of that. I saw heaven open. And behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and with it he should strike that with it he should strike the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fiercest and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The most intellectual decision any human being can ever make is to say yes to Jesus Christ. You examine the options, you look, and you come to the point where you say, he is the truth. He is the great I am. C.S. Lewis, whom you know, you've heard, you've read, he was professor at one point of the medieval and renaissance literature at Cambridge University. And he was writing about him becoming a Christian, his conversion. And he started out by saying, I knew they had to be wrong, his words, to be wrong. He said, the last thing I wanted to do, quote, was embrace Christianity. So I began to evaluate the basis and the evidence for Christianity, and here's what he concluded, quote, in other religions, there were no such historical claim as in Christianity. So he begins to study, end quote, he begins to study the gospel and finds out it's a trustworthy account. Quote, he says, I was by now too experienced in literary, literary criticism to regard the gospels as myth, end quote. So finally, he said, I had to make an intelligent decision. And here's what he wrote about getting saved. You must picture me alone in that room in Magdalene, right, night after night, feeling whenever my mind lifted even for a second from my work, the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired not to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. In the Trinity term of 1929, I gave in and admitted that God was God. And I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected, and reluctant convert in all England. He didn't want to come to Christ, but he, he knew that call, and he, and he studied it, and he examined it, and he realized he's exactly who he said he was. He's I am. He is God. And he gave him his life, and, you, and the, the books that C.S. Lewis had written, the apologetics and others, it's incredible. That, that God took that mind, used it for the kingdom. So here's my challenge to you, which was Jesus' challenge to the people. You want to follow me? You want to follow Jesus? First of all, surrender your agenda to him. He doesn't, I don't own it. He owns me. Second, die to self. Be willing to say, okay, I'll follow you to the death. It's no longer about me.
It's about you. And then follow him. Obey him. What you'll discover is your life will be so much more meaningful. You'll be truly happy. Yeah, it will be difficult. So difficult at times. But it's well worth it. I've been spending a lot of time with a dear friend of mine over the last few weeks. I won't go into the details because it would take us forever. Uh, he, he is going through some horrific time. Some things that his sister is going through. and She doesn't have any other family except him to really be there for her. And he's doing everything he can. And this is a dear brother who loves Jesus. A very close friend. And I talk to him several times a week. I spend time with him as much as I can. And I talked to him again last night, and his poor sister is facing another. She's been in the hospital two and a half months, and they just keep messing her up. And she's facing another, looks like another surgery. And he said, Randy, I don't know if I can take it anymore. I just, I don't know if I can take it anymore. It's kind of like reading Job. Sometimes you say the things that, that, I, that you say like, man, I, know, I hurt for you, but our God hadn't changed. And when I said that to him on the phone last night, it sounded like the most hollow thing I'd ever said to somebody. But it's still the truth, isn't it? It's still the truth. When I go see him Monday, all I can do is hug him and say, man, I'm sorry. I hurt for you. I love you, and I hurt for your sister. I love you. I don't know what, why she's having to go through this. But I know one thing, sure has enhanced his prayer life and mine. And if nothing else, that's a good thing. I didn't want his sister to go through that to make me pray more. But that's part of it. Would you bow your heads, please? So, Lord, even though sometimes in... In my life and my friend's life and all of our lives, sometimes we forget to remember that you're God. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're at work, even though we can't see it now and we don't like it right now sometimes. You're still God. Lord, give us a focus on that cross that it's not about me. That I want to give my life not talk about it, just surrender it to Jesus. Not my agenda, his. Not my ambitions, his. Not my desires, his. And then die to self and just follow Jesus and see what you're going to do. Lord, I thank you for these folks. I pray you bless the believers here. For somebody here who's not a Christian, Lord, what a great moment to say to Jesus, I need that. I, I want to follow you. Thank you for dying in my place. Please save me. Forgive me. We commit this time to you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand.